Welcome to Tech on Reg, the podcast that explores all things at the intersection of law, technology, and high-regulated industry. We're talking fintech, regtech, sextech, and more with thought leaders and entrepreneurs from around the world to share insights, trade viewpoints, and get us all thinking about responsible innovation. And here is your host, Dara Tukowski. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Tech on Reg, the podcast that explores all things at the intersection of law, technology, and highly regulated industry. And one of the most highly confusing regulated industry, an industry where our federal government and our state governments cannot seem to get on the same page, um, is the cannabis industry. So today, we're very fortunate to welcome Michael Johnson, CEO of Metric. Metric is one of the country's most trusted and experienced providers of cannabis regulatory systems um, in the U.S. Welcome to the show, Michael. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate the opportunity. So, Michael, tell us a little bit about yourself um, and what Metric is. Absolutely. Metric is an incredible platform. We are the largest regulatory compliance solution for the cannabis uh, for the cannabis space. We primarily make our product available um, to governments, state governments that are trying to regulate and kind of make some sense of their legal cannabis uh, function. And so uh, we are frequently um, identified as being able to provide visibility to the regulators, to the industry, to any uh, interested stakeholders in the cannabis space by showing the complete supply chain from seed to sale. And in that sense, um, just about everything that would occur from the process of growing the plant all the way to the final sale is tracked and recorded within Metric. We make the supply chain um, much more uh, robust and transparent for the entire industry. Um, we we really are heavily focused on protecting public health through that transparency. Um, and it really actually outlines the parameters and, and really provides the, the rails for which the legal cannabis industry can run and prosper. Um, so I've been in Metric here for almost two years now. Uh, I've been the CEO for um, about six months, maybe a bit longer. Um, I've primarily grown up uh, in in different software, uh, different roles at different software companies, and um, just couldn't be more excited to support Metric and be a part of the team here. So it's funny, um, as you were describing Metric and sort of what it does, you mentioned that it helps sort of regulating bodies uh, at this. And here we're talking about the state level because we all know that um, uh, cannabis is still uh, illegal at the federal level, uh, despite uh, the DOJ's positions on prosecution or non-prosecution, depending on who's sitting in the White House. But the thing that struck out to me is that you said you help them make sense of all of those legal and government functions. And I'm not sure that all listeners have as much of an appreciation for how complicated that basically structure is, because it isn't just about the growing and the distributing and the sale of the products. There's so much else that goes into it, logistics and zoning requirements and where things can be sold. So can you speak a little bit about to just how why these government bodies actually need this help so badly? Um, because, you know, it is sort of a this sort of a mess. It's hard. It's it's complicated. Um, but it, it, any complicated issue um, is typically is met with complicated solutions, and complicated solutions are really hard to implement. And so at Metric, we really try to kind of make this much more streamlined and help folks uh, be as compliant as they can be 
in a way that also helps them, uh, helps their business um, thrive and, and helps them be successful in the space. So at the core, protecting public health, but we also don't want to make it so difficult to be in compliance that uh, you can't really run your business. And so um, that's kind of the, it's, it's a bit of a difficult line because you've got a lot of interested stakeholders and you've got a lot of folks that uh, pay very close attention that might not even be associated with cannabis world. But um, what, what a lot of folks don't realize is that the taxes that are generated in cannabis frequently um, are earmarked for very specific purposes, sometimes social equity, actually frequently social equity, but also all, all sorts of other elements um, like childcare for unionized workers in certain states. And so there's a lot of folks that are involved in, in the cannabis ecosystem that aren't even touching cannabis or don't even feel like they're in a more than a degree or two of separation away. And so making it work for folks um, really is, is, is a lot bigger than just the, the folks that are either consumers or folks that are trying to operate businesses. Um, the interesting thing when you think about all laws and regulations, um, and obviously it's a little bit, a little bit easier for you as an attorney, but for a layperson, um, think about when you pass your driving test. That's generally the only time that you're forced to pass a test on understanding the rules of the road. And laws and how you operate a motor vehicle and what you're allowed to do and where you're allowed to do it change all the time. But you're not well, educated on that. And generally speaking, if you want to be educated on that, you have to go on a bit of a fact-finding mission and read a lot of legalese, which is a bit challenging for folks. Um, I know. And, and then that's less work for me. You guys can't take away my work. <laughs> got to be. Got to be a little. <laughs> we gotta, we're going to take care of you. Um, it's all is, about me, really. That, the, 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 the whole show, it's all about what's good for Dara. I mean, let's, that's okay. And we can do that, right? We can, we I'm can focus on that. I'm kidding everyone. Uh, my <laughs> listeners know that I'm not that. I'm not, I'm a little obnoxious. I'm not that obnoxious. <laughs> no, you're wonderful. Um, the, the cannabis rules are, are really no different. It's just, they're more foreign because we didn't grow up with it. Um, in the same way that you grow up understanding like, hey, that's a speed limit sign I need to follow. That's, that's how fast I can go. The cannabis rules have generally been in place for, if not months, not more than a, a few years. And the, the, as far back as they go, it's just a little bit more than a decade in Colorado. And so you don't grow up with this. You don't see it. You don't live it all the time. Uh, it becomes very difficult for you to appreciate uh, you know, what, what you can do and what you can't do. And reading sometimes hundreds of pages of rules and regulations is, is quite challenging. And so um, there's no helpline for the state. Um, there's, there's primarily... Uh, in most states, there's metric, and you know we have quite a few support people. I'm very happy to walk folks through uh, some of the challenges that they have, and and frequently that's that's the the type of feedback we get, and those are actually very often the types of calls we get with folks who are just struggling um, to to kind of make their system work, make their business work, and um and and we provide the guard or the the rails for which that that system can run, and a little bit of guardrails in terms of helping them understand uh, the steps that they need to take. You know, it's interesting because we're talking about sort of a very fragmented, multi-jurisdictional problem. That in and of itself, pretend this is, you know, the whatever industry, it doesn't even have to be can cannabis. Whenever you're talking about fragmented, multi-jurisdictional problems, even from a legal perspective, you can have the best technology in the world. Everything has to be tweaked for that specific program, right? Illinois program which is very, very uh, young regarding sort of adult use uh, licensure um, and legalization is an infant compared to, you know, I would guess the kindergartner, the grade schooler that Colorado's 
you know, program is. And even those programs are vastly different than one another. What sorts of licenses um, are needed and required, the laws on the books, you know, hyper-local, you know, zoning and jurisdictional requirements about where you can grow and how you can sell and who can transport flour from point A to point B. And uh, talk to me a little bit about how metrics solves a lot of that disparity in those programs, even though you're dealing with similar conceptually seed to sale in the industry. Uh, a lot of it, 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 I mean, we're not really here to advocate for a law to work one way or another. We're here to support the the regulated industry and the regulators and, and obviously the, the other folks, the stakeholders in the industry that are trying to to operate. And so for us, it's about trying to translate those nuances, which in many cases are quite meaningful uh, to between state to state and even in county to county, depending on the state you're in. Um, and trying to find a way to translate them into um, into into kind of a set of fairly standard operational processes, and so metric itself runs in a in a very standard way. Um, metric is a single source code, so we're not a, a lot of government software because things are so different between you know state to state and county to county. Um, we'll have quite a bit of customization and modification for each individual customer or each individual um, jurisdiction. We have the exact same code base. Um, what we've done, and it's actually quite complex to do this, is make it incredibly configurable such that for every type of regulation, rule, law, um, any any limits, uh, lack of limits, we're able to fully configure metrics. So if something changes um, really drastically in Illinois and it's not something that we've accounted for, we'll actually um, completely uh, write, write into the program that change and we'll just make it configurable. So... Um, the odds are if one state's doing something, another state's going to do something at some point in time. And so for us, we think that helps folks that <clears throat> both operate in multiple states and, and in multiple counties, and also our consumers in multiple states and multiple counties, um, be able to have somewhat of a standard and predictable process and predictable experience. Um, it's certainly not always going to be the same because some of the rules are, are fairly significant, but overall, the way folks are able to sort of transact in the in the ecosystem has a level of standards that not every uh, industry has, and certainly not every industry that's as uh, immature as the cannabis industry is. So, uh, in terms of this configurability, that would also mean that, right? I'm assuming you guys cover adult use programs, medical programs. It's not just about flower. It's about the derivatives and how those get infused and, you know, all of the products um, that come out that you ultimately might see at a local dispensary. Is that right? Correct. Oh, we also do hemp. And hemp. And so um, flower is, I mean, flower is your primary, your primary source of, of why people are growing. Um, you know, of course, hemp has as many different uses, um, but in terms of personal consumption, flower is going to be the primary source. And flour um, is is frequently, I mean, depending on the state you're in, it, it's not always that easy to actually find uh, raw flour. Um, and so, you know, many, it's, it, it's so funny there as as different states sort of get into the the legalizing of um, cannabis generally, there is always the lawyers that begs the question. It's just like, so what's the day that nobody's looking at state lines and everyone's got their fingers and their ears and their you know hands over their eyes? about how those plants actually enter the state because we are presuming that they should not have been there to begin with, whether they are aren't is, you know, another thing. 
But at some point in time, right, the flower has to get there. <sighs> so they yeah. can have an industry without crossing state lines, without violating federal law. So to me, as as a legal practitioner, I think that part was always sort of funny. It's just like, how did the first official flower get here? Because we can't say that it was here before. It's um, it's an interesting question. It's a mystery. It's one of the many mysteries of the universe, and we are not here on the show to answer that particular question. Moving on a little bit, I guess, given what metric does, how much information they get, working with all of these different regulating bodies, what do you uh, what do you all think is the hardest part to navigate in terms of compliance across states, counties, cities? Like, what is that one issue that's just like, ugh, this is always a problem? I think it's figuring out how folks can um, can navigate the rules changing. And so when a new program comes online, because it's not very similar to anything else that's going on in the state, there, there are things that seem to make sense in your mind or in a legislator's mind uh, or in voters' minds, and you get into practice and it's a lot harder than you think. Um, and you see this in a lot of different places. In California, for example, uh, the average, actually most, I believe it's more than 50% of the counties um, do not permit to, you're not permitted to have um, to, to have dispensary in those counties. Counties have to separately vote to let that in. Well, that's a bit of a challenge if you've got a lot of um, a lot of products and only so many places to distribute it. And so dispensaries, there's actually fewer dispensaries in California than there are in Oklahoma. Um, on the flip side, Oklahoma is one of the few states that have no caps on the number of licenses that can be provided. And so it certainly is a benefit to folks that are trying to um, produce a free market um, but but definitely has its own set of risks when it comes to um, managing production um, and trying to keep a good a good grasp on the regulatory space and certainly to protect public health uh, to limit you know issues that come up frequently on different cannabis farms such as resource usage water usage is is pretty pretty big deal um, human trafficking certainly comes up and so we want to make sure that that we are trying to um, partner with folks. So they can both understand what the ramifications are in terms of operationalizing different changes that they're contemplating, um, and then also uh, help them to kind of navigate exactly where where they're seeing issues that need to be tweaked. And that's really the power of data and data-driven regulation, where regulators and um, concerned members of the constituency are able to exactly like, see with, with pretty close detail in terms of what's occurring in their jurisdictions um, and understanding what the trends are and understanding what the data tells them and matching that up to what the intents of the program were when it was uh, when it was started. I also have to imagine sort of like the tax regime and like the augmentation needed from a tax perspective is also one of those things that can vary so greatly even within a state because I think of those county and, you know, local uh, local jurisdictional issues because, you know, I imagine there are some as you said, counties in California that don't allow it at all. And then there are other counties who may allow it, but they just need their cut. And that cut might, you know, right, that tax cut right. might be a little bit different than their neighboring county. So it 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 begs a lot of very sort of interesting competition issues. Um, I'm a resident of the city of Chicago. You know, uh, Illinois State has its set of taxes, but Lord knows Cook County and the city of Chicago have got to get have got to get their piece if there's going to be business conducted within their jurisdiction. So it it struck me that tax might be a major thing that is very, very disparate from 
not just state to state, but, you know, municipality to municipality, and it gets super hyper granular. No question. Um, Illinois is actually a great example of that. Cook County and and the city of Chicago, city limits, you're, you know, certain things are taxable and you're literally across the street and there's certain buildings that cross paths where, you know, depending on where your door is into that building, that determines the tax jurisdiction you're in. Um, sales tax is not just a, a, a cannabis-related um, kind of conundrum for folks. It's it certainly is. No, nah, it's just a higher rate. Little, yeah, <laughs> little it's a little bit, of, a little bit of a higher rate, but yep. Um, uh, but no, I just these are and and by the way, like part of the reason, like for just our listeners' benefit, that we're going through these is that I don't know that I believe the issues surrounding cannabis has been, um in some ways a little bit oversimplified by the general public and especially for those who are advocating for pro-legalization across the board. Um, that even if you can solve some of these problems at a macro level, there are so many micro level issues and challenges um, that even a federal legalization really wouldn't solve for, right? It's true because so many once you once you look at the industry and the industry gets, you know, kind of firmer uh, and deeper roots within a jurisdiction. Um, there's a lot of reliance on elements of that industry. Certainly, tax revenue is one of them. Um, but but protecting when you look about when you look into California, California has um, some incredible mom and pop small growers, almost like um, uh, like a like a craft craft uh, farm yeah. would be right. And it, and I bet many of them. Um, and just I mean, really, people that have dedicated themselves to producing the very best product. Um, sometimes purely for medicinal purposes. Sometimes um, for for more recreational. Uh, and and they've they're proud of that, and they've built something that they're not trying to produce, you know, millions of plants. They're they're producing, you know, what they what fits on their farm. And when you start to talk about um, the opportunities for um, things to leave states and go to other states, and you start to talk about, well, the federal government could change the way I'm doing something here, that that causes folks to have a little bit of heartburn. Now, of course, there's certainly a number of benefits to an overall federal legalization perspective. Metric itself is is certainly agnostic. We recognize that there are there's benefits, there's questions that need to be solved for. Um, there's probably some some elements that aren't as good for some people. And we want to do the very best we can to support the entire ecosystem um, to provide some level of standard, some level of comfort to folks that are maybe a little bit less comfortable with the cannabis ecosystem, um, such that they can they can feel much better about the the rigor and the compliance that goes into protecting public health. Uh, and we want to help folks that are starting businesses um, be able to, to have something strong to maintain their business. The the best thing or the 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 most challenging thing for a legal business is the illegal market. Correct. And so if we if we can do the very best we can to support thriving legal market, um, then then they'll ultimately be much more successful. And the industry will be more successful. Um, but there's, I mean, uh, uh, one uh, one thing that the federal government really could look into that would be a huge benefit. To anybody in um, the cannabis space is 280E, and this is uh, a part of the Internal Revenue Code that disallows for um, any of the what are what are typically normal deductions that you would have, so costs of sales um, for your business from being uh, included in your tax return. So instead of paying uh, whatever your applicable income tax percentage is on your net income. Uh, in the cannabis space, because it's federally illegal, you pay your uh, your income tax on your gross revenue, which is a, a massive increase than what it, another business would would be subjected to. Really excellent point. Two questions sort of popped into my brain based on what you just said. First, 
You've mentioned the phrase public safety a number of times during the interview. How are states using the data that metric is able to sort of um, collect and organize uh, for them to ensure public safety? And which states do you think have been the most successful in doing so? Um, I think all of the metric states have done very well in terms of protecting public safety. So I, I don't excellent I answer, I have a, excellent answer, I, Michael. <laughs> can't say I have a favorite. Um, public safety is the cornerstone of all of the states that that we've worked with um, from a regulatory perspective. Um, from a testing, I'd say the most overarching element that protects public safety is is testing, and there's fairly sophisticated testing protocols in place for for most states. Um, and I think that folks don't necessarily realize what could be inside their cannabis, um, especially if they you know, grew up participating or consuming via the black market. Um, folks can get sick. Recalls happen all the time. Um, mold is a very big deal. There's a certain level of humidity that's required to grow a cannabis plant. And you know if that's not properly monitored, you uh, certainly have a, a much higher proliferation of mold um, and other contaminants. And so States generally require um, fairly robust testing to make sure what gets to you as a consumer is safe for you to consume. Um, they also have a number of different requirements as it relates to the way um, different edibles or vapes are made in terms of consistency um, of the THC levels and um, also the way consistency in the way um, the, um, the the oils are, uh, are, are put into different gummies or what have you. Um, I think that there's a number of other areas outside in terms of uh, rules and regulations associated with packaging. Um, you know, who's able to who's able to enter a store, where a store is located, so on and so forth. Um, for us, we pay very close attention to the to every um, every element associated with growing, packaging, producing the the products. Advertising. Um, you guys get into advertising too. We don't do anything with advertising. Um, okay. We're we're purely you know, supporting the compliance space um, and really in the production. Uh, and, and I think when you when you really step back and take a look at some of the some of the folks and some of the successes that have been made in terms of um, paying close attention in, I mean, really in every state we've been in um, at how surgical they've been in, how swift they're able to act in any case of a recall, because we have this very sophisticated view and transparent lens into the supply chain you're able to recall very, very specific tiny slivers of any product that's affected. If you think to other industries where product recalls occur, it's not so surgical. Um, if you think back a few years to romaine lettuce, you couldn't get romaine lettuce anywhere in the country for weeks um, because of a potential E. coli outbreak. That doesn't happen in the cannabis space because we have such specific, such a detailed visibility into every step of the supply chain. It saves consumers um, quite a bit in terms of keeping them safer. Um, it saves consumers quite a bit in terms of, of making sure that product in, in the supply chain isn't disrupted. And it saves the producers um, significant amounts of money because they don't have to just destroy all their products because they don't have the same visibility that, um, or, or because they actually do have the same visibility and others, other industries do not have that same visibility into every element of the supply chain. You know, it's it's funny that you mentioned romaine lettuce. Um, no seed to sale tracking on our vegetables, right? Like on our on our produce. Um, yet these are things that, you know, have been, have caused, you know, widespread sickness, panic. Um, you know, we've all had, we've all been there where we've had like that bad airport salad, right? <laughs> where we, you know, where, where we don't know. And it's, 
it, it had never really struck me until literally just now you said that, is that so much of the technology that you guys are building has application for our public safety well beyond cannabis. Cannabis seems to be like an excellent use case for it. But man, wouldn't it have been lovely to know exactly where that bad romaine came from so that we could, you know, isolate it and, and you know, and they spend, you know, investigators spend weeks and weeks trying to track it, right? Like sure. trace the outbreaks and you have to track it backwards. But then you're spending all of this time and resource um, trying to untangle a web where if that sort of protection of those guardrails were put in on the front end, you'd have that data almost instantaneously, right? Absolutely. Instantaneous visibility. Um, think about the pandemic. Supply chains across the board were were interrupted. Um, some are still not back to normal. I was about to say, I don't know that we're out of it yet, but right. point taken. But we didn't have that in the cannabis space. So you have real-time visibility into what's happening, to what consumers are, are buying, into whether or not uh, dispensaries are going to be open or closed, um, and you're able to adjust on the fly. Of course, it, it takes a bit of time to actually grow the products, um, but you're able to shift. Folks are able to shift from from uh, changing their production to, uh, to to kind of distribute raw flour um, versus turning something into an oil. And the level of visibility that that is afforded in the cannabis space, certainly, I think for some feels like it's a lot. Hey, we're really paying attention to everything. We're really tracking all these details. Um, this is the type of visibility. If it was in every other industry, and imagine how much more efficient, imagine how much easier it would be to to have much more confidence in the products that you're buying. Um, you, you would have much, uh, much greater opportunities to actually get what you need because you wouldn't have so many situations where the products are sold out. Uh, it is, it is really a tremendous gift to the, to the cannabis industry. And I'm sure for some folks, it, it definitely feels like, you know, compliance is a, is a big hurdle to climb what the value is and what the power is, is immeasurable. Um, it really is quite special. And, and we're very fortunate to be able to see this real life use case kind of unfold before our eyes. Well, um, so congratulations to you and to Metric for the success that you've had uh, so far within the cannabis industry. It's just like, you're going to keep dominating cannabis. Next stop, romaine, lettuce. I see it. <laughs> I see it. And I see it in the future. You guys have it built already, right? Gotta we'll get, get, on it. get them farmers on board. We got a lot more we can do in cannabis space, but I, I uh, appreciate it. Thank you so much. So if uh, any of my listeners want to learn more about you or about Metric, where should they go? Uh, metric.com. That's www.metricmetrc.com. Um, I'm available. Anybody can email me directly. I, I, I have time to talk to everybody and I certainly would find it. Michael.Johnson at metric.com. You can find me on LinkedIn. Um, there's a lot more people, there's about 150 of us that would uh, welcome any opportunity to um, to learn more about uh, what you're doing, any of your listeners in, in their industries, and certainly share um, some of the lessons that we've learned in the cannabis space. Well, thank you so much. Um, we can't wait to check back in with you to see how things are going. Until next time, listeners, this is Tech on Reg, and I am Dara Tarkowski. See you next time. Thanks so much, Sarah.